This episode of the Zealous Podcast is sponsored by Perform Better. Perform Better is the leader in functional training by supplying innovative products and top-notch education to trainers, coaches, and therapists. Check out the brand new Perform Better app designed for professionals who want to stay on top of their game. This free app features education from the world's best. You'll learn from industry leaders including Mike Boyle, Gray Cook, Sue Falzoni, Charlie Weincroft, and many more. Topics range from strength and conditioning, program design, nutrition, business, and marketing. Just go to performbetter.com. Welcome back to another episode of the Zealous Podcast. I'm Rocky Snyder. In the house now with me, I have a great honor. It's it's not very often that you get the higher echelon within the NFL. Normally, I'm talking to some really great building blocks of trainers and coaches and so on. But today, I get to welcome in Jamie Roots. Now, Jamie has been with the Houston Texans ever since they were established. And that means for about 20 years now, he has been the president of the Houston Texans. And now he's on to a new chapter in his life. But before he lets go of the NFL, I thought we'd get him on the show and talk to him a little bit. So, Jamie, hey, welcome to Zealous. Uh, Of course, Rocky, it's great being with you. Now, you, first of all, before you got to the Texans, I'm a big soccer fan. My kids grew up playing it, and I'm a soccer coach myself. For me, Major League Sports here in Santa Cruz, right over the mountains, we've got the San Jose Earthquakes, and there's nothing like going to, to Avaya Stadium and watching a Quakes game. But you were more like Columbus Crew, were you not? Yeah, that's right. I, I Actually, I grew up playing soccer myself. I played at Clemson University. We were national champions a couple of times. When I left, I didn't really, hadn't really thought about what I would do for a career. So I wound up at IBM. I spent three years there, went back and visited with my athletic director at Clemson and said, you know, I, I don't know whether I want to work in a sports business or I want to be a coach. He said, well, you got to figure that out first. So I went back to graduate school at Indiana and got an MBA and I coached at Indiana, worked in the athletic department knew I wanted to work in a sports business, but still didn't have a, uh, a job. And it, so I took a job with Procter & Gamble in, uh, in brand management and spent about a year there and got a call from uh, a representative of, of Lamar Hunt's organization. They were in the process of investing in Major League Soccer. And they gave me an opportunity to be uh, the GM of the Columbus crew. I was the first employee and uh, launched the team in 96. Um, built the first stadium for an MLS team, first training facility for an MLS team, and then uh, left in 2000 to uh, start the Texans. Wow. Now that's kind of, that's coincidental that you mentioned Lamar Hunt's name, uh, owner of the Chiefs, correct? Correct. Now he had to give permission to the Houston Texans to use the name Texans because at one point in time, they were actually using that name, right? Yeah, they were the Dallas Texans before they went to Kansas City. And so Bob McNair did call uh, Lamar and ask for his uh, blessing on that. And he, he said, no problem. And so, and the name was perfect. I, the, the challenge was creating an identity that, uh, that, would, that would communicate Texans. If you're the stallions, it's really easy. It's going to be a horse. You know, if you're the, uh, you know, the, the, all, all the natural names are, are easy, that the name was great, but you know, I mean, it took us six months to find an icon that could represent that name Texan. And actually we stumbled upon something that is truly world-class. I mean, the, the spirit of the bull, the bullhead, uh, you know, it kind of has a, uh, a nod to the uh, state of Texas flag, you know, with the star and the red, white, and blue. And um, so really we stumbled onto something great. Yeah, how did you stumble on it? You keep saying that you stumbled on it. Like it was just- Yeah, kinda... we were, 
we, we were doing focus groups. We had a number of artists that were engaged and they'd created all kinds of imagery and we would show it to the fans and nobody liked anything until this one focus group where we, it was actually, it, it was kind of, you know, you think about peanut butter and chocolate. It was uh, University of Texas and Texas A&M slammed together. So it was this longhorn steer in maroon and white and people loved it. And then, so we just slowly started refining that into something that was a little more ownable to us. You know, the spirit of the bull is the spirit of the people of Texas. Um, uh, pride, courage, strength, tradition, independence. Those are the words that are foundational to Texan and it all kind of came together. So if some of you are too young to remember this, but at one point in time, Houston had another football team. It was the Houston Oilers, but somewhere in the nineties, I think it was 96 or so they moved up and became the, well, they became the Tennessee Titans. They moved to, to that area. And at the same time, the Cleveland Browns, they had decided to leave Cleveland. They moved to Baltimore and became the Baltimore Ravens. And that meant that, well, there was, there was odd numbers there in, in the teams. And that's where the Texans came in. So right around, was it 2001, 2002? Is that when that started with the Houstons? Yeah, our, our first season was in 2002. And you're right, there were 31 teams and we became the 32nd. And then we did a realignment. So people were shoved into different divisions and conferences. And, um, and it's been that way for 20 years. Um, we're in the AFC South, right? So our rivals being the Tennessee Titans, the uh, the Indianapolis Colts, and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah, none of them I like, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> Me neither. Yeah, there's only one team that matters. That's right. <laughs> Your <No>. team. <laughs> when it comes to building the Columbus Crew Football Club, you know, an MLS, I imagine there were so many elements of from the ground up that you could use as uh, as uh, proving grounds to come over to Houston, like what did you take with you? What were the big elements coming from the Columbus crew over to the Texans? Yeah, so a uh, little different experience in the two. In, in, uh, in Columbus, you know, you didn't have the bright hot spotlight of the National Football League. So you can really try a lot of things. And if it doesn't work, it's no big deal. If we try something as the Texans, it's on the front page, you know? So it's, uh, it, there's a different level of scrutiny that exists. But you know, I have to say the Columbus experience was actually much harder. I mean, it was, we had nine months, we had 30 months to start the Texans. Uh, it was both a startup of a league and a team at the same time. So we were literally building the plane as it was flying and uh, really pretty challenging there. Um, and, you know, soccer doesn't have the same kind of, it didn't, still doesn't have the same kind of platform that the National Football League does in terms of kind of uh, natural fan support. So in Columbus, it was kind of, my mom used to say, you're trying to get a silk purse out of a sow's ear. So that's what we were doing with MLS. You get to the NFL and you know, you got a purse. The question is, can you stuff it with more than anybody's ever stuffed it before? And so uh, you knew you're going to have something good, but could it be exceptional? And fortunately we had a number of things fall our way. I mean, our naming rights deal was a, was a world record for 10 years broadcasting deals at the top of the market, sponsorships, all blue chip, sold out every game we've ever played, 31,000 people on a wait list. So um, the things that I took from the Columbus experience to Houston was just the absolute importance of beginning with the end in mind, you know, starting on day one with a 30 day plan with milestones to keep you on track. Cause it's so easy to get lost in the woods as you're developing uh, something from scratch. So, and having to make, 
quick decisions, being very decisive throughout the process because the train doesn't slow down, right? You're playing on September or whatever in 2002 and whatever's not done is not done, right? And so you just have to discipline yourself to, if it's an easy decision, make it quick. If it's an important decision, take a little longer time, but still be very decisive. All right. Can you share like the, the greatest and worst decisions as president of the Texans? Yeah. So all the greatest and worst decisions that I've made have been, uh, have been the personnel decisions, you know, any, any, I've had a couple that didn't, you know, they kind of were duds and, and had to own up to it quickly move on and get somebody else in the role. But more often than not, we've made great personnel decisions, folks who, and we were very, we've always been very clear on the requirements that we're looking for people that, that, uh, have a great work ethic, have a winning attitude, and a demonstrated commitment to operating consistently with the values of our organization. And that's really the foundation of culture. But if you've got those three things, we can really teach you anything that you need to know. But if you're not going to work hard, and if you're not going to be positive and optimistic, it's just not going to work. Well, this is probably a good time to point out that you you recently wrote a book called The Winning Game Plan. Correct. A proven leadership playbook for continuous business success. Wow, I can't even remember that. Yeah, not bad, huh? It's those <laughs> subtitles that Alfred tripped me up. But I'm, I'm really curious, like, obviously, you're taking a, a business that happens to be a, a high-level NFL team, a very winning, uh, great record. You guys have been AFC South Division champs for five or six years in the 20 years you've been around. So that speaks volumes. But you, you in your book, you take these concepts of, leadership and you can apply it to any business like for instance um, a, a winning culture like how do you build how did you build culture around the texans yeah so um the, the uh, culture is so incredibly important and the way that we built it was identifying the habits that we wanted our employees to engage in more often than not and it's impact impact we want people who are innovative, memorable, passionate, accountable, courageous, and team players. And we created a whole rewards program around impact, the impact awards. So every, during COVID, it was like every week or two, but usually it was kind of six or seven times a year, we'd have everybody get together and we would tell stories of what people had done. So I'll get a note from a fan or I'll get a note from a teammate that such and such is an impact player. Here's what they did. And so the, the, you get $500 for an impact award, but the more important thing is the opportunity to tell the story of what somebody did. Stories teach. Stories are great reminders of what, what Due North is for us. And so you just do that often enough. Everybody gets it. They understand that impact is Due North for us, that if they do it in an exceptional way, they'll be recognized. And everybody's competitive. You know, you want to you get one of these impact awards. And uh, anyway, it just... That's it. Just day after day after day, talking about impact, reminding people of impact, over communicating that impact is the culture of the organization. It just starts to take hold. People get it. Yeah, I imagine it's pretty contagious, too, so that you get like minded individuals wanting to work in a culture like that. So uh, I imagine that uh, the the human resource department for the Houston Texans is pretty much uh, on overtime right now, just based on that. Yeah, well, the yeah, we. Uh, someone told a story a couple of days ago about a job that was open. We had 800 applicants for one job, and they're all exceptional. Most of them are exceptional. Um, 
and, and culture is so important because I mean, that's your way of executing. That's, that's how you get stuff done and get stuff done in an exceptional way. But it's been proven that culture, a positive work culture will attract the 20% of the best talent because you get this reputation that, wow, it's a wonderful place to work, right? And so the best can go anywhere they want. We want them to choose us. Everybody's a free agent, right? And so we, we market our organization, not just to sell tickets and suites and sponsorships, but to attract the very best talent. Because if we, the guy with the best players usually wins. That's what Bobby Bowden said. You don't always win, but you give yourself the best shot. You'll never be able to outperform your talent level. And that's the job of the CEO. That's my job is to think about our talent systems and work hard with our folks to find ways for us to attract, retain uh, the very best people we can and maintain a workplace that, that naturally draws people to us. And how does that work with your fan base? Because, I mean, to go against the Cowboys in the early years when that was obviously America's team and they had just come off a run with the Super Bowl with Troy and, and Michael and, and all those guys and Emmett. And then here comes this young upstart of a team in the Texans. How did you draw people into your organization from a fan perspective? Yeah, well, I mean, we, we reached out. I mean, we reached out aggressively, told them what they can expect from us, what type of experience we'll provide. I mean, at the end of the day, I, I remember it was maybe five or six years into launching the Texans and <clears throat> our, our marketing person was showing me a, 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 an advertising campaign and it was touchdown, catch, touchdown, catch, touchdown, catch, blah, blah, blah. I was like, I mean, that's really beautiful and everything, but I got to tell you a secret. You can catch all of our games for free on television. What is special about coming to NRG Stadium? That's what we're selling. We're selling this connectedness, rituals and traditions and bonding and being part of something bigger than yourself. You can watch the game for free at home, but why do you get up off your couch? Why do 71,000 people every Sunday come over? Well, it's for tailgating and bonding and connecting and being human and you know, getting, you know, having, having, having a meal with, uh, with your family. Yeah, I get it. I, you, you're creating the raving fans, as you, I, I think you put it in your book quite well. And, well, and that's, a, that's a loyalty metric. And it's fun. I mean, loyalty is not very fun to talk about, but create raving fans is, right? And create, the first part being, it doesn't just happen. Someone has to intentionally take effort to create this raving fan. And a raving fan is different from a fan of the game, a fan of the team. A raving fan is the standard of success that you've done something so exceptional for this person that they're compelled to go tell someone else. And that's the, um, I mean, that's the essence of word, word of, mouth, of mouth advertising. Just going a little bit further. Uh, there's very little traffic on the extra mile. Do a little bit more, make it a little more special, a little more deeply thought about. And you can, you know, if you do that over and over and over um, it's amazing what kind of uh, bonds you can create with your customers and your fans. So can you give me an example of like uh, that raving fan and, and what, what stands out? Well, um, let me think. Uh, I, I, well, I've got lots of notes in the book of people that were raving fans and things that they had to say. It's just, they, it, it's, it's, those, it's, those, it's those human niceties. It's, it's saying thank you. And you're, you know, uh, when, when you do something for someone, they say thank you and you say, of course, it's my pleasure. No, not okay or yeah, huh? but it's my pleasure. You know, that makes people feel good. Or just go in the extra mile. You know, someone you know, has a, 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 some passes that they were to get and they, 
didn't arrive on time for somebody to drive across town. And what are you doing over here? Well, I just want to make sure that these got you in time because I know it's really important to you. That's just something different. You, you, just, you just have to break the mold. I mean, anybody can, can do the bare minimum, but you do that little bit more and it just, I, I love telling stories of organizations that have done exceptional things for me. And I love, one of the things I love is you're never gonna believe what the Texans did. When it starts with that, that is, that's pretty awesome. Our first year, we, uh, uh, we, we sent our tickets out in these FedEx boxes. And I don't know why it was such a big deal, but people are sitting around at coffee shops like, what is this? It's from the Texans. Oh my gosh, it's my tickets. They're so beautiful. They're, you know, just that, that little lanyard, you know, just a little something special. That's very cool. Yeah, I, you know, I, I have uh, Levi Stadium, not far away where the Niners play. And they have some really great educational programs within their organization that uh, my son and I, we, we do a little homeschool. And a few years back, we're invited into this STEAM class or STEM class. And we go in and you get to go into the guest locker rooms. You get to go down and do some stuff on the field. You just to get to experience it when the games aren't going on. So I don't know if, if is that across the board in all NFL stadiums? Do you guys, with the Houston Texans, do they do something in terms of, uh, obviously, there's community outreach but i'm kind of curious like what does that kind of how does that manifest in houston yeah the simple answer is yes i mean access is so valuable people love these teams and want to feel like they're part of the of the organization one of my favorite programs that we do is their field days and so we have our uh, team auditorium and we'll bring in a, a, a client will be able to bring in 30 of their clients and we'll have one of our players come in and speak to them at the beginning. They all get a jersey. They go out to the practice facility and get a chance to run around and throw footballs and just, just, feel, <clears throat> just feel like they're under the helmet for a couple of hours. Just makes all the difference in the world in terms of our clients building relationships with their clients. Yeah, you're really on the business side of things when it comes to the NFL. I mean, drumming up ticket sales and, and generating interest. You mentioned earlier also about television rights. Now, what, what kind of can of worms are we talking there? Because it's something we don't hear all that often about, but is it, is it a battle to gain ground as an NFL team for, for getting your, your game on the air? No, actually the way the league works, uh, the uh, television rights for the regular season are managed at the, uh, at the league level in New York. And they work with Fox and CBS and ESPN, DirecTV. Uh, now we have Amazon. So they do those deals and they've just redone them. I think it was a 10 year, 10 billion a year, something like that was the most recent broadcasting deals nationally, all right? Then preseason, we maintain those on a local basis. So we go out and find a local television affiliate. For us, it's always been ABC 13. And then radio, we control our radio rights as well. Sports Radio 610 is our, has always been our partner. And we created something called Texans Radio, where we have, I don't know, like 20 hours of radio programming each week, all focused on the Texans. So a very regular presence. And we sell all those advertisements so, uh, so yes, you do have a level of broadcasting uh, footprint that you have to put together, but it's not all of it. The league, the, the league takes the most valuable and sells it collectively. Now, I know there's some NHL teams uh, locally here, the San Jose Sharks in particular, who have an app 
that with, with this San Jose Sharks app, you can actually listen to games with commentators that aren't necessarily on the air on TV or radio, but they're their own Sharks commentators. Do, is that something that's kind of filtering into the NFL as well? Just kind of curious. Yeah, we, we, we have an app. It's got all kinds of content and activities and uh, sponsorship opportunities. And it's where the lion's share of our coverage of the team, you know, it used to be the, you know, the website was the go-to place now. The Houston Texans mobile app is the go-to place. Yeah, so that's my next question. Like in the 20 years, let's go back to like 2001, 2002 to 20. Before electricity. <laughs> yes, practically. Yeah, when when the uh, the game board on the sidelines was not a Microsoft, uh, whatever it is. But what what are the biggest differences over the last 20 years from went from start to, to now into, I'm not going to call it retirement, I'm going to call it kind of resurgence into some other field that you're going to. But what, what did you see as being some of the largest landmarks or changes over the course of that time? Yeah, we just, I mean, we talked about it, the teams more and more controlling their own content. I mean, we, if, uh, when, we fir- when, I f- when we first started with the Texans, we sold our rights to a third party and they produced it and they sold it and they went and monetized it. And so we just, we were cutting a check for the first 10 years. Gotcha. Uh, actually about 10 years ago, we completely flipped the model. Now we are, we are a radio station and a TV station and a digital studio and a mobile app and, you know, uh, and, and all of our print publications are done in-house. So we have a very big broadcasting team and the economics, we figured out a way to make the economics good. And the ability for us to control the narrative relative to our team is remarkable. You know, chance for us to, it used to be, you had to go through an intermediary, whether that was a, a, a newspaper or a television station, radio station. Now we can just pick up the mic and get across to our fans, whatever it is we want to get across to them. Uh, the second is the arms race as it relates to stadiums. I mean, it uh, used to be teams would, uh, would, would sign a lease with the municipality. They, the municipality would build the stadium and the team would play there. And, uh, and that's, that's how you did it. In fact, that's the way we are at NRG Stadium. Now more and more, you're seeing private stadiums, teams wanting to 100% control the activity and all the revenue streams relative to their building and, and the prices. I mean, I think the uh, LA Stadium is $5 billion. I mean, just crazy, the escalation that's gone on. NRG Stadium, by comparison, 20 years ago, was $450 million. And we thought that was pretty darn big. So um, yeah, some very expensive stadiums out there. And that trickles down to the fans, of course, with ticket sales just skyrocketing in most locations. So do you find like looking off in the future, now that you're kind of removing yourself, if you could be a, a soothsayer and look 10 to 20 years down the road, how do you see the NFL in regards to its popularity? Because everything wanes and waxes just like the moon. There was times where the NBA was the, the pinnacle of professional sports and then it's kind of faded and then it's coming back up. Where's the NFL's travel going to take them? Well, I think the, um, the, the, the NFL uh, be hard for it to stumble. I mean, it's so big and it's so important to the broadcast partners because it's really, if you think about it, it's really the only thing that can aggregate an audience and hold them for three hours, you know, because no, you don't, people aren't going to record and watch a game later. They're not going to time shift it. You want to watch it live. You want to watch it at noon on Sunday, you know? So I, I think the, the league's in really good shape. I, 
as long as the league continues to have the kind of leadership, both in terms of the owners and uh, leadership in terms of the management team that they put together, I think it can be successful for a long, long time. I do think there are a number of sports that are starting to kind of nip at the heels of our traditional sports. One that I've been involved with before, soccer. I think soccer continues to grow in popularity among the youth and it's a little more, you know, a little more modern, a little more forward thinking. I think the NBA has an advantage in that uh, it's got truly got global reach naturally. Uh, I think baseball, probably if there's one sport that's going to struggle going forward, it, 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 it would be, uh, it would be baseball. I think it's just has a hard time finding its niche in today's society. We're all so fast moving all the time. Baseball is that slow, relaxed, hang out, graze, walk around the stadium. I'm just not sure that people are looking for that now. We're all adrenaline junkies, you know, and we're looking for the next fix. And, and hockey, I think, has got some upside uh, potential. I think it's a great game live. Their, their big challenge is appealing to a television audience. But, uh, but all these sports are, you know, vying for their, their piece of the pie. And, you know, again, as long as the NFL, NFL be fine, as long as they continue to manage it well like they are, always have. Well, you, you mentioned global impact or global reach, and there have been the, the last, what, five, maybe six years where NFL games have been played outside the confines of the United States, whether it's down in Mexico City, London, or wherever. You're the first person I can really kind of ask these questions about, like, is there any traction gained there, or, or is it just something that there's a whole bunch of expats in these areas that would love to see a game, and this is the first time they can for a while? No, I think it's starting to gain traction. It just takes a long time. Uh, you, you've got in, for example, in the UK, the sport of soccer, the, the top three sports in the UK are soccer, soccer, and soccer. So uh, really kind of hard to, uh, to take a chunk out of that. But I, but I do think um, we've made a lot of progress. I, I like our model much better now than the idea of having a league over in Europe. You know, that just is hugely expensive. It wasn't the authentic product. It was kind of a, you know, a, a, a secondary league and, and the, the fans get it. They want, they want to see the real deal. And so these games that we're playing, we played in uh, Wembley in 2019, a couple of years before that we played at Azteca and those were great experiences. They were full house, pa houses packed and people were into the games. And so I do think that, uh, that, that there's, a global opportunity for the National Football League, but uh, the NBA just has it more naturally. There's a lot of basketball played across the planet, so you already have a built-in advantage there. Yeah, so we're not going to see any kind of Toronto teams or Vancouver teams kind of inch their way into the NFL anytime soon either. I don't think so. No. All right, well, let's let's change gears. I'd love to learn a little bit more about your book. Yeah. Uh, what inspired you to write it? And, and give us a little synopsis about what it's all about. Yeah, so uh, I was, a, a year and a half ago, I was at the NFL owners meeting with, with a guy by the name of Greg Beatles, who's the executive vice president of the Falcons. And I'd, I'd thought over 10 years off and on about writing a book. I've even writ written a few outlines before. But Greg said to me after the owners meeting, uh, hey, uh, I see all the metrics, financial metrics in the league. Okay, you guys are just like us. You win sometimes, you lose sometimes but you have always been at the top of all the charts. Why is that? And so I gave him an answer, but as I got home, I was like, you know, he's right. Something really special is happening here. We've been able to defy gravity. Wins, losses, 
you'd said we won a few championships. Yes, but we still don't have a record above 500. And when I first came here to Houston, people told me if you win, they come. And if you lose, they don't come. And I said, we're going we're gonna to debunk that. And we've sold out every game we've ever played. We've got a wonderful business despite the vagaries of winning and losing. And so that's what the book is all about. The winning game plan is kind of tongue in cheek, right? Because it's not about winning. It's about creating a great business that fulfills unique human needs. And so the three key questions for leadership, and, and I unpack it pretty clearly in the book, is who, how, and why? You know, we like to focus on what, when, and where, but who, how, and why are the questions of leadership? So the who is the talent, the people that you bring into the organization, getting the right people, humble, hardworking, great attitudes, and, uh, and, and, and a demonstrated commitment to operate consistently with the values. The how is where the values come in, the culture. How do we do what we do? And having a very clear way of doing things that everybody understands, creates, it creates energy, it creates power. And then number three, maybe most importantly, is why. Why are we here? It isn't about profit. When I was at Indiana University in the graduate school program, there was this uh, professor who said, the function of business is profit. And I was like, that's not right. The, the purpose of business is purpose. We're, and so as we fleshed out the Texans, it's about winning championships. You don't have to win, but you have to be committed to winning. Everybody's got to believe that you're here to win a championship. Number two is to create memorable experiences. It's not about hosting football games. It's about doing things that bonds people together like nothing else. And then number three is to do great things for Houston, really supporting our community, being there for the city of Houston, providing services, providing financial contributions, and if we can excel at those three things, we can build a great franchise. And though each of those three things actually with them combined inspires our staff. It, 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 it puts into gear this whatever it takes attitude because whenever we face a challenge and have over 20 years, everybody just does whatever it takes because it matters to them. You know, this mission, this purpose matters to them. And so if you get those three things right, I think you got a shot at a great business. So this isn't something that you just dreamt up overnight. This was years of formulating or scratching your head and wondering why. Like, what were the milestones that gave you these epiphanies to the who, what, whys, and so on? Yeah, so over 25 years, I've done so many speaking engagements. And I used to do keynote presentations. And I used to see them as, you know, I kind of in the back of my mind thought, you know, I'm building my philosophy of leadership. So an uh, organization calls, can you come in February? Great, I've been thinking about these three concepts and I wanna put together some PowerPoint charts that, uh, that, that lay that out and explain it to you. Because if I can explain it to you in a keynote, then I really must understand it. And then when I get that one down, I'd move on to the next one, I'd move on to the next one, move on to the next one. And really in terms of writing the book, it was going back through all my PowerPoint presentations and putting those into an organized fashion that told a story and actually adding the stories to it, give it, give it some color. But um, it, it was kind of cool. I mean, I, it was kind of like going down into your basement and digging all this stuff out after 25 years of writing it all and then putting it into a package. Okay, craziest keynote speech you ever gave? Craziest keynote speech that I ever gave. I don't, I gotta tell you, I don't think I've ever given a crazy keynote speech. They've always been around the concepts of leadership you know, and, and the philosophies that I have. Um, but the craziest location to give yeah, a speech, yeah. it was in a honky tonk in, uh, up, up in uh, North, North Texas at uh, where's the Stephen F. Austin University. 
And I was like, guys, look, I got to tell you, I've never given a speech in a honky tonk. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't sitting on the mechanical bull at the time, were you? No, it was going in the background, though. <laughs> <laughs> Sawdust on the floor, everything. Oh, my gosh. All right. And then the one that is the shining light that you are just so honored to, to present as a keynote speaker. Yeah, I, it was when I broke out. It was for the Houston Business Journal. They had their 40 Under 40 Awards, and they asked me if I'd come and speak. And I said, you know what? I'm kind of right now um, intrigued with the idea of handling adversity and handling success and what it takes to do that. Being the National Football League, I mean, you're, you could be whipsawed every, every week. You know, if you win, you're at the highest of highs. and If you lose, you're at the lowest of lows. And as a leader, it was always my job to keep us right in the middle. <clears throat> and so how do you do that? So I came up with four plays to handle adversity. And then it transitions as, as, as hard as adversity is, it's much harder to handle success. It's a silent assassin. You automatically, just by seeing success, being on the front page of the paper, accepting that medal, the... Uh, the seeds of your destruction are automatically being sown unless you take intentional uh, action to counteract it, right? And so when you think about handling success, it's about number one, staying humble, you know, stay grounded. Number two is to stay focused on your success habits because it's easy to start cutting corners once things start going good. You gotta remind yourself, you know, I'm only as good as my last, as my last performance. Number three is to stay balanced. You can't be unbalanced forever. You can spend a period of time and really focus on your work or have more focus on your family or have focus on yourself and your own personal, but over time, you've got to stay relatively balanced. And number three, number four is to keep going. You got to set higher goals. You got to figure out what's next. You know, what's a different level of performance and clearly articulate that and get after it because otherwise you're either getting better or you're getting worse. Right. And so the only way to make sure you don't get worse is to intentionally choose to get better. Okay. So I'm going to put it right back on you. You just, you were uh, in charge of the Columbus crew football club, and then you moved into this position president for the last 20 years, of the Houston Texans. And so there's, there's this level that you've reached, but now you're saying, okay, what, what now, what next, what's, what's the next pinnacle in your career path or life path? Yeah, so I, I, I've, had, I had some, I've had some ideas and I've tried some things and it's helping to sharpen my focus. Number one is writing the book. And I know I don't want to write another book. <laughs> Number two, teaching a class. I'm teaching a leadership class at the University of Houston. It's been fun, but I'm like, I don't think that's it at this point in time in my life now either. Um, and I've you know, done some checking in terms of my financial situation, fortunately. I mean, I don't have to work another day again. And so you have to ask yourself the question, do you really wanna work? And I really do. And so that gives me the flexibility to really go in a lot of different directions. I think if I could draw up the role for me, it would be potentially uh, in the soccer world again uh, and have an ownership interest in whatever franchise it is that I lead. That, that, would be, that would be a kick. I would, I would lo I'd love to work for myself for a change. Now, you strike me as a defender. Like what, what was your position? <laughs> what, what was your position on the pitch? Uh, I played midfield, but midfield. I was more like an enforcer. You know, yeah. I, I, I had no problem getting my studs up and going in the back of somebody's legs. 
Yeah, no flopping for you, I can imagine. So yeah. maybe going back to the MLS, is, is there is there a region or? Yeah, or, could yeah. be. Yeah, right. I, I, I've got plenty of time. I'm just going to hang out and, and talk to great people like you. This has really been fun, Rocky. I mean, not only this interaction, but these opportunities over the last couple of months to meet people that I would have never met in my entire life. And, uh, you know, the book, I have the book to thank for it. Well, I appreciate your time for sure. You know, there's so many things that you've unfolded here that can relate not only to like the strength conditioning world or professional sports, but obviously in business itself. You know, it's it's funny, you were talking a little earlier and I was relating to the stuff that I do outside the podcast, which are seeing people that typically have chronic or acute pain. And I just watch how they move and kind of figure out what's missing in the agree in, in, in the, uh, the way in which they move and can we give them that? But I'm thinking for you and your perspective, like when you look at a business and you throw that who, what, why's and all those at it, do you, is it kind of just a natural thing whenever you look at a business, you're going, oh, uh, did you pick it apart and see how it ticks and do they have the right components to make it work? Yeah, I, um, you know, I think if, if, let's say I do go into an existing business, I mean, the first thing is I'm, I'm going to lead with questions, you know, I, I find that all of the answers exist if you will just be patient and ask the right questions. The people on the ground, they know, I mean, we, I learned so much from a Texan's perspective. Every time we do an employee survey, I learned so much about our organization, about our market, you know, about, uh, about you know, the city of Houston, our relationships, what's working, what's not. You just got to ask good questions and, uh, you know, be thoughtful and figure out what, what is it that we can change? What is it that we can't change? What should we change? And then create a plan, go after it, you know, then check it up again and, and go after it again. But in terms of, Leading, I, you know, one of the points I make at the end of the book is three things that I think people should be, um, and I think it's the three most important points in the book. Number one is to uh, be an optimist. You know, nothing good happened. You know, uh, Bob McNair was asked about, uh, it's, uh, our Mark Vandermeer, who is our voice of the Texans, asked me, you're always so positive. Why is that? He, Bob said, well, I've never seen a successful person who, who is negative. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you got to be positive. You got to be optimist. You well, maybe pragmatically optimistic. And then number two is to be an over learner, right? So that's why for me, all these acronyms that I use and the quotes that I use, because it it's a way of driving it deeply into my conscious mind and then into my subconscious. So to your point, I'll see a situation. Oh, that's what I need right there. That acronym or that quote, or that's the thing that will inspire people. And, uh, and then number three is to play to win. Always play to win. You know, don't play to play. If you're going to get on the field, make a commitment to play to win. Yeah, that's great. Now, are you still doing keynote speeches? Uh, no, I do. I evolved a couple of years ago to interviews. So I'll book with a group. We'll be on for an hour. They'll send me a few questions as samples. And just like this, we'll just sit and talk. Beautiful. Well, it's because I was going to ask you if there are some people out there that would like to invite you to, to give a speech when restrictions, of course, uh, yeah. lift here and there. But instead, tell me a little bit more uh, with the book. Obviously, you can get it on all the major booksellers. But again, uh, the title is The Winning Game Plan. And it, are, you have it not only in print form, I imagine, but Kindle or audiobook. Yeah, it's, it's print and uh, digital. Uh, Amazon.com is the best place to, to go, go and get it. 
Um, the audiobook just came out on Audible and it's done by Mark Vandermeer, our voice of the Texans, and he dropped in game calls and stuff. So it's really, it's a really cool deal. Uh, Scott McClellan, who did the forward, read the forward, and I did the last chapter and everything in the middle is, uh, is Mark. So I, I'm really proud of that. And that's at Audible. And then uh, jamieroots.com, J-A-M-E-Y-R-O-O-T-E-S.com. Loads of resources there, little charts and checklists and stuff. And and uh, yeah, so I just encourage people to go there and follow me on LinkedIn. I uh, have a, I can't believe how many followers, why they want to listen to me, but they uh, have a lot of people checking in on, on the stuff we're putting up on LinkedIn. Well, I'll make sure I put all that information in the description below the podcast for sure. Perfect. And I really appreciate your time. I know that uh, you've got a whole bunch of things going on, but to set aside an hour to chat with me, it's a real honor. And, and honestly, I, I just have thoroughly enjoyed watching the Texans win or lose. It's just such a great team. And of course, you, just the, the players you've selected in your organization have just uh, been just speaking volumes of that as well. So thanks, Jamie, for coming on. All right, Rocky, good to be with you. So that's it for another episode of the Zealous Podcast. Thank you, Jamie Roots, for being my guest this week. And be sure to subscribe because you know every week we got somebody special coming on board. And next week, well, if you're into sailing and America's Cup, be sure to tune in. Until then, make it a good one. <laughs>